I've been really, really proud to watch this women of ProPetro group from afar, trying to stay out of their way and uh, <laughs> mess anything up. I've been to hang out with them a couple of times. They make me nervous. I'm usually not a nervous speaker, but I get, <laughs> I get in front of that group. But look, they, they've had very strong attendance. They've found unique ways to hold their gatherings where more ladies can join. You know, we have this 24-hour business that we're running, and it's hard to have a meeting and get everybody together. But they've been really good at that. And, you know, I think they do a good job of just getting together and smiling and laughing and loving on each other and challenging each other. And, you know, leaders like me and the rest of my management team, we're thrilled to have things like that happening in our company that we can supercharge with resources because it ends up being a really important part of your company culturally to have a place for a group like that to meet and, you know, support each other. You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Flipping the Barrel, a podcast where we interview leaders in the energy space to uncover and find out more about their career and life journeys. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Sam Sledge, who's the CEO of Perpetro. He's third generation oil and gas, and he currently lives in Midland, Texas. We're going to get straight into your story, Sam, where we're going to learn how you started from the ground up, literally started at the entry level position. And now you're running the company, your CEO after you know multiple years. And ProPetro is one of the leading and biggest oil field service companies in West Texas. And so something to really be proud of. And we can't wait to get into it and just learn how you were able to do all of these things. So thank you for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for what you guys are doing. I'm excited to have a good chat this morning. And this is a really unique episode because Masiel and I are here together in the same room. If you watch us and you're more, you know that most of the time we're both on our own computers. And so this is a unique experience and we're really excited to be sharing this with Sam. Like Masiel said, Sam, it's really incredible what you have done. And we were so impressed when we first met you and learned your story. So we really want our listeners to start from the very beginning and kind of get to know a little bit more about you. So you were a third generation oil and gas with a family who had been very successful in starting their own companies and selling them. This naturally made you curious about their work and you ended up following in their footsteps. You grew up in Midland, as we mentioned in your intro. You have a very tight family, very supportive parents, which we do feel like is essential sometimes when it comes to having this aspirations like you had yourself. And this is a big reason why you are the way you are today and how you were able to be successful. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up with, you know, parents that were entrepreneurs themselves and were successful in the oil and gas business? Did this influence you to actually enter the energy industry or was that not really a thought at that time? No doubt about it. It influenced me. I'm not sure I understood the full influence that it had on me until I got to, you know, the most formative years of my life when you're trying to make important career decisions coming out of college and starting your career after that, when I had gained, I think, enough life experience like much of us do to look back and realize how awesome for me, in my case, my upbringing was, how unbelievable my family has been. It's very evident to me that the greatest governing mechanism on earth is a strong family unit. And I think I'm definitely evidence of that, having a mom and dad that were unbelievably supportive of everything I did 
growing up while still towing the line and making sure that I had good, strong values and understood right from wrong. All the meanwhile, I have one sibling, an older sister, who's one of my best friends in the world. So I have everything anybody could ever ask for from a family standpoint. Watching my family do business, as you mentioned, I'm third generation. My grandfather started his own business in the 70s, a contract drilling business. And I got to watch my dad and my uncle both work there, lived across the alley from my cousins and my aunt and uncle. So not only was I close to my parents and my sister, but was close to my uncle and my cousins who were also you know, participating and working in the business. And honestly, like I said, until I got maybe into my 20s, I just thought that's what everybody did. Everybody started mm-hmm. their own business. Oil and gas was this thing that we obviously take for granted. And then you kind of grow up, get in the workforce, meet some new people as kind of your career starts and you get through college and you look back on that and go, wow, I could not be more lucky to have had the support that I have and to influence me on really the path that I am on today. So really fortunate. And I think the older I get, the more thankful I am for having that blessing of that strong family unit. And now a little word from our sponsor, Technique FMC. This podcast is brought to you by Dyna Energetics. With a rich 150-year history and an unwavering commitment to innovation, Dyna Energetics has become known for advancing perforating systems and high-performance shape charges for the oil and gas industry. Their products enhance efficiency, safety, and environmental sustainability. Dyna Energetics doesn't just set industry standards, it redefines them. We've partnered with a company where history meets innovation and excellence is a way of life. To stay in the loop on the latest, follow them on LinkedIn at Dyna Energetics. Thank you for sharing, Sam. It's really incredible to your point, just how important a strong family is, especially influencing a child into taking risks and dreaming big, you know, versus a no, you've got to do the traditional way and, you know, get a degree versus maybe other things that you were interested in. And they were just super supportive about it. You know, you mentioned that you played football for Baylor and this really transformed you, right? Football was your life. You, you know, we're very dedicated and hopes, you know, probably to play in a bigger league. You know, how did sports and now being the leader that you are today kind of play with each other? You know, there's a lot of people that always kind of have the comparison between leadership and playing in a team sport. Can you tell us a little bit about that and just how it transformed you? Sure. Football's kind of the sport that's the biggest part of my story, but really just athletics and competition in general. I think I've come to believe that the body and the mind are very much the same thing. They're not separate. So pushing yourself physically and competing in a physical manner is very much a mental exercise as well. But football is huge for me. Like I said, I'm biased. I think it's the greatest team sport on earth. But if you went and got inside of any high school or college football locker room right now, it would be one of the most diverse dynamic groups of people that you could find. And I think that's true across the board, across the country. And, you know, football is not necessarily a global sport, but I experienced just that, especially in my college years in initially having to walk on and kind of earn my way onto the team. I was not highly recruited out of high school, but I believed in myself. My parents obviously believed in me. So giving me the confidence to go walk on to a division one college football team without a scholarship and 
make the team, not only make the team, but a couple of years in also earn a scholarship and earn quite a bit of playing time while I was there. I love to tell the story that I think is one of the most profound things that sticks in my mind about my college football experience that sums it up pretty well is I sat between the same two guys in the locker room most of my years at Baylor. And I'm this, you know, fairly wealthy Midland kid whose parents are entrepreneurs and business people who's had this very strong family. I'm sitting in between two guys that are from different parts of the country that have never had parental units that are from much lesser means than I am. One of them ended up being my best friend. The other one I absolutely couldn't stand and almost fought in practice every day. But those three guys, us three, we had to go out on the practice field, go out on the game field and figure out how to achieve a goal together. So you just take that dynamic and you pull it into oilfield services. We're doing the exact same thing from a human capital, human resource standpoint. We have very diverse groups of people that we're trying to meld together to achieve a goal. And I think that's what really brought me full circle back to oilfield services is because I very much thrived on that dynamic on the football field in the locker room. I was not that good on the field. I was probably a better locker room guy than I was actually making plays on the field. But that's really what I ended up migrating to after school and after college is looking for that same challenge and that same dynamic with competitive people that although might come from completely different backgrounds and might agree and disagree on a ton of things, let's go compete and let's go achieve big things together. That's really what football did for me. And my team that I work with here at ProPetro on a daily basis is probably worn out about my sports analogies, but they're so real and so vivid to me and they make so much sense that it's a huge part of who I am and how I lead. I can't tell you how many flashbacks I got while you were talking, playing sports in college, totally relate to everything you said. And I always tell people that it's like you're given friends and sometimes it's friends that you would have never been friends with and you have to be friends with them and you have to play together and you have to trust each other. And it's the same thing as the workforce. You're given a team and you have to be able to work within that team. So I think that is essential. And, you know, the oil and gas plays such an important role in that, especially when you talk about diversity. So when it comes to your career in the energy space, you know, you did decide to study entrepreneurship and undergrad. And while you were in grad school, you did an internship with a small mom and pop. And that summer, they let you do everything from, you know, well-designed to sleeping on the rig. And you really got to see what it was like. What was your first impression and what made you stay in oil and gas? And did you feel that camaraderie of like that team atmosphere when you started? Yeah. I mean, back to my upbringing and majoring in entrepreneurship and undergrad, I knew I wanted to do something in business, pretty numbers oriented. I thought maybe finance, although I just really wasn't that good at finance. And you look at all the choices at the business school and you see, which at the time was pretty rare to be able to major in entrepreneurship. And at Baylor was one of the top entrepreneurship programs in the country at that time. I said, oh, I know what that is. I want to do that because that's what my dad's done and my grandfather So going from there and laying that over oil and gas, which was just what was interesting to me and that internship, I'd love to mention Joe DeWoody, friend of mine, also a Baylor football player that was a little bit older than me that provided me that opportunity that summer. I probably haven't done a good enough job thanking him for exposing me to almost the entire oil and gas value chain and really a span of about two months. And I think I went into that internship thinking, 
I want to be more on the production side, more on the EMP side. And I got to do a little bit of land work. And like you said, you know, have a geologist teach me how to read a log. And we got to go sleep on the rig and watch some acid jobs and really just kind of the whole span. And my favorite part of the summer was being out in the field and on the rig with that diverse, dynamic group of people, lots of characters, lots of laughs, lots of problem solving. And that really cemented it for me with, a, I think I had two semesters left at grad school at that time that I came from that internship and I immediately went looking for jobs to start my career in the oil field services sector. So Sam, you know, you're a third generation oil and gas, and of course it's very cyclical. So I'm sure growing up, maybe saw some booms, some busts, maybe even your grandfather saying, get out of the industry, you know, just (laughs) hearing so many stories from generations. It's always like, go do something else. You know, it's hard out here. And so it's interesting that, you know, you decided to stay and even kind of continue working and now, you know, run a company within the industry. But what kind of advice would you have for those, you know, younger Gen Zs who are like in college thinking about it and they have this just bad rep about the oil and gas industry and they're thinking like, there's going to be another downturn. That's not the kind of life I want. You know, what has been the advice maybe people have given you to stay or what would you tell someone that's looking yeah. at coming into the industry? And you're right. He might not totally admit to it, but I feel like I can remember a few different times my dad saying, you know, get out of here and go do something new. And right when I left to go to undergrad, I thought I'm going to go be a big city boy and I'm going to get a finance degree and go do that type of stuff. And Really, I think that's a fantastic question for me personally, before I say, you know, what I think young people today should be thinking about oil and gas. But for me, it was the influence of that family unit and watching, I think, how successful, but also challenged on a daily basis, my family was in working in oil and gas. And, you know, being younger, you probably don't have as much of appreciation for the cycles. But I do remember numerous times growing up where, you know, dad's in a bad mood and things aren't going well and there's not as much to do. And I could remember it kind of generally growing up, having been through a few cycles now, have a much greater appreciation for it. But look, I think energy in general is a very interesting profession to pursue for a young person because I think energy, especially oil and gas, is more important today than it ever has been really on a global scale. The global economy continues to grow, albeit we've had some interesting disruptions with COVID for the past, you know, three to four years. We're we're right back on track from a global energy demand standpoint. And the number one bedrock foundational source of energy is oil and gas and other fossil fuels like coal. And honestly, I think there's some people awakening to this as we speak. That's not changing for the foreseeable future. So you have tailwinds from a demand standpoint. And you have headwinds from, I think, you know, a bunch of different social aspects that are against oil and gas that are creating a really unique window of opportunity for young professionals that want to get into the industry. And I've had the opportunity to talk over the last year to a few different groups of, you know, young professionals or people that are in college or looking for energy opportunities. And I try and lay out this kind of very exact thing that I'm talking about, that running kind of into the building that everybody's running out of can many times be a huge opportunity to go create value for yourself and your family. There were a few more people flocking to the industry in, you know, 2010, 2011, when I was getting out of grad school and starting my career. But you can look at the stats and see, you know, the amount of petroleum engineers, engineering degrees and things like that. And it's just dwindled 
really since then. So, you know, I love to read and learn about successful investors because I think investing in kind of psychology and philosophy have a lot of ties to each other. And the most successful investors are the ones that are buying things when no one else will. So if you kind of take that lens over your career search and say, wow, energy demand is up and to the right. Fossil fuels are not going anywhere. What if I run into that building and go make a great career for myself? And oh, by the way, it's one of the most diverse industries in terms of skills and talents needed. I would bet that the three of us have probably completely different you know, educational backgrounds. And yet here we all are working in the same industry, I think all very successfully. So really, you can study almost anything you want to study in school and come out and be successful in the oil and gas industry. I could go on for days and days I and days. That. Yeah, it's I my know. favorite topics. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's very much in my blood and in my family. And like I said earlier, I totally took it for granted growing up. And now with everything that's going on broadly in the world and global energy demand continuing to grow, I'm really proud to live and work in Midland, Texas and power every other industry on earth. That's exactly what we're doing here. We completely agree. And that's a big passion of ours, as you probably are aware with Living the Barrel. I mean, our biggest thing is letting people know, especially the outside world, people that are influenced by energy or been in it, to understand the impact. And like, you're right. Like when everybody's running out of the building, you're running in and you're the one actually changing the world. And there's so much opportunity, which takes us back kind of to your story and how when you were starting out, you actually you know, thought, I'm going to go work for a big service company and then, you know, learn from them. And then I'll, you know, get another job after that, after I've already learned and, you know, done the training. A lot of people do that. You know, they work for the Slumbergers, the Halliburton's, Bakers of the World, and then they get that training in place and they go work somewhere else. But one of your dad's friends actually overheard this and he had different plans for you. Can you talk to us about how that transpired and what happened and what unfolded next after this conversation you had. Yeah. Without naming specific names of companies, all three of those that you just mentioned, those were the top three on my list. Those, <laughs> I'm sure. Those big three. And was very interested in getting in one of these kind of rotational management training programs and had a job offer at one of those three. And almost immediately after that, I think my network in Midland Kind of got when Sam's getting out of grad school and he's getting into oil and gas. Don't let him go to work for one of those big three. So I had a few different people, you know, buddies of my dad's and just family friends call me and say, hey, hey, you might want to think about. And the founder, ProPetro, former CEO, offered me a job that was really completely different than that big three OFS job offer I had. And it was, hey, we want to teach you oil field services from the wellhead out, learn it from the ground up we'll let you go at your own speed where this job offer with this larger company was going to be very scheduled. Here's the next two years of your life down to the minute. And really, I think that's where my upbringing kind of growing up around entrepreneurs just pulled me right back to West Texas and said, go to work for this growing, budding entrepreneurial company, make a bet on yourself to learn as quickly as you can and go do it. And I'm still doing that today, learning it from the wellhead out, I guess. And I can't really tell that story without mentioning my wife, who now is, you know, you grow up in that kind of family as a kid with parents. Now I've got my own family with a couple little boys. And I have a wife that is just, she's absolutely my superpower, having somebody that's as supportive as her and also challenges me at the same time. I, to help me make that decision, proposed to her after I got both of those job offers and said, hey, will you marry me? And oh, by the way, where do you want to live and which one of these jobs should I take? 
So, you know, a complete blessing to have her you were right there on the front lines with me at that point in my life, helping me make that decision. And really, you know, we've talked a lot about team here this morning, but my job and what I do every day here today is very much a team sport as well. She's, I call her the head coach and me, the star player. We're a team working together every day. And she was super important to helping me make that decision. And that, you know, first step in my career. I love that you shared that. And, you know, so many people who are very successful, who have come on the podcast or at events, they always bring up their spouse saying, you know, you really have to pick someone that's there to support you, that's there to push you, that's there to challenge you, but also kind of help you make these kind of decisions. Because, I mean, depending on who you would have married, they could have said like, no, I don't want to go back to, you know, you should take this other job. And, you know, a lot of times we get influenced when we're younger. So it's really impactful to see kind of your life shaped to become where it is today, you know, because of your spouse. So I love that you mentioned that. So to talk about, you know, some hard things, 2020 and a little bit right before it, you know, you mentioned was kind of one of the hardest times in your life. And, you know, you mentioned coming in at an entry level position, working your way up, you know, the company, et cetera. But there was a time where, you know, things weren't going really well for Perpetro and you weren't the CEO at this time, you were kind of upper management, but then private equity, I guess, was starting to back out or looking to exit. And then there were some investigations done and I don't want to butcher the story because it's sensitive. And so I want you to kind of walk us through that because I was in Midland during that time working as a field engineer. And I remember just the rumors of Midland and just, I'm sure that must've been hard just going to HEB and like people looking at you thinking that you did something right because you're tied to this company. So we'd love for you to kind of share kind of what happened and how you overcame all of that through mentorship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, COVID happens in March of 2020, basically, where that's when everything kind of started to get weird with COVID. But dating back almost not quite a year before that, our management team and really our CEO and our board got into a disagreement that then caused what we thought at the time was a pretty, I don't want to say normal, but pretty you know, traditional occurrence where a board or a committee of a board might spin up an internal investigation into something. And what that was, was contracts. And this is all, everything I'll share today is basically public knowledge. What started as an internal investigation on some equipment contracts that we were negotiating grew into a broader internal investigation as those naturally do. And what happened as a public company is that we had to delay our public filings. And usually when you delay your public filings, you have to be very careful and cautious about how you communicate with the public. At the time, I was responsible for our investor relations function. So we delay our public filings and I'm immediately the only person that can talk with the outside world as the leader of the investor relations team. So, you know, lots of the investment community usually in a scenario like that can cause a lot, a lot of volatility and turmoil in your stock. And then put that company that has these delayed filings and this internal investigation going on in a place like Midland, Texas, where everybody knows everybody, like you said, going Mm -hmm. to grocery store. And there's a lot more to that story, but zooming into what that meant for me, it was a really scary, probably year and a half of having to wade through what an up and coming business person thinks about something like their reputation. And what does that mean to you when you're early in your career What does that mean to you being able to provide for your family in the future? And, you know, fact or fiction outside of that, for a pretty confident, well-supported person like me to begin to doubt myself and worry about my reputation was a very, very scary place to be for quite some time. 
we're going through all of that. And then COVID hits in March of 2020. Our founding CEO leaves the company. The board changes quite a bit. It got even more interesting. We had to lay off over 1,400 people over the span of eight weeks. And everybody, I think, has their COVID story of not just like what happened to you through COVID, but I think it was a unique time where it rippled out into so many other things for people in their lives. It just so happened to be, you know, delayed public filings and SEC investigation and an internal investigation by our board for me. That's what that looked like for me. Look, I'm not the only person. There's a lot of people still at the company here today that were waiting through those same things. And look, I had a few different mentors speak into me during that time and just say, Sam, keep grinding through it. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Believe in yourself. Keep going forward. And I'm so glad I did because it's brought forth so many more blessings and opportunities beyond that. And, you know, I heard an interesting saying from somebody here recently that the hardest thing you do is the hardest thing you do. So retrospectively looking back at that and saying, wow, that was hard. Look at all this other hard stuff I'm doing. That's all of a sudden not as hard. So let's go conquer all this stuff. And look, two years ago, I don't know if I could have like packaged that up and said that the way I just said it, but that's really, I think how it's evolved within me having had that experience and now trying to use a lot of those experiences to help me wade through you know, leading a dynamic, diverse company like I am today. No, thank you so much for sharing. I know like Marcel was mentioning when we asked the question and sensitive. And like you said, two years ago, you might not have been able to say it like you are today, but now that you've learned from it, I think it's really important to share that story. What I also think is important about this situation is you walked away as the CEO of ProPetro, but more importantly, you know, integrity, trust, and being a part of the solution really drove you to this position. Can you talk a little bit more about that, like about the trust and the integrity part, because that's such a big part of being a leader and what it means to you to withhold that kind of stance. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, I think integrity and trust, those are pretty huge words. Trust is something that I think my team and I find ourselves talking about more and more and more because it is literally the foundation or the core of a high functioning team. You can't do anything without that. And look, we're not perfect. I think what we're getting better at is just talking about it out in the open and making sure that each of us understand what our trust levels are. And I think going through those couple of years in and around COVID and our internal investigation, I think taught a lot of us lessons about what trust is and what it looks like and what it means to each other. And I think What comes from that is that trust can look very different for different people, but you don't know that unless you're sharing that with each other. Look, I think I love to tell investors this all the time because of what we've been through as a company, that there's not a well-governed company that leads and operates with more integrity than we do. Unfortunately, part of that is because of what we went through, but we're proud of that now so that any public investor that is making investments in our sector can make investments in us knowing that You know, we've had better corporate governance lessons than anybody else. I'm I'm, I'm 36 years old and I love to tell people that are 50, 60 years old all the time that I know far more about public company corporate governance than you do. And it's because of all these things I've been through. But we're proud of that. And I think that's part of, you know, that kind of doing hard things comment that I mentioned earlier is not just kind of laying around feeling sorry for yourself because that happened, but finding a way to use that to make yourself and your team better going into the future. 
Yeah, it's definitely all about mindset and taking these experiences as just something that's shaped into becoming stronger. And you're like, what's next? You know, I can take it. (laughs) And so we wanted to get into a question on women in STEM and just, you know, the industry, to your point, we need more talent. We'd like to see more women. I mean, the ratios have gone up, but it's still there's place for women in the industry. And, you know, you mentioned that you grew up around very strong women and strong, capable women, including your mom. And you saw her kind of you're like, you know, she can do so much. She's confident. You could see her, you know, run a company or even be in the industry. And there's so many other women like your wife, et cetera. And so, you know, can you tell us a little bit about that? And you also mentioned that even when your mom was battling through ALS, you really saw, you know, women truly are leaders. Like they can be leaders. They've got no barriers. They've got what it takes. And so can you tell us a little bit of maybe like those instances or those different stories throughout your life and kind of how that ties into now you running a company thinking, you know, how can we increase the women in ProPetro yeah. or just even in Midland or in the industry? Yeah, that's a great question. A great point that I don't think really more broadly gets enough credit in business in terms of what we can achieve with just putting the best players forward, period. My wife and I joke about all the time how much tougher she is than I am, but that's part of the kind of team effort and in supporting each other. So I need her to be tough. So she can help me be tougher. But yeah, you're right. I unfortunately earlier this year lost my mom to battle with ALS, which anybody that knows anything about that disease, it's physically one of the most gruesome diseases that I think exists. And it was a pretty drawn out deal for her, watching her for more than two years literally lose muscle function across her entire body. And her attitude almost improved throughout the whole thing. And, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with who she was and, you know, how she was brought up, but how she was leading us and our family through all of that and showing us that, you know, this is a hard thing that I'm dealing with, but I'm okay. And I'm going to conquer this. And there's bigger things for me beyond this life. So that's something I would have obviously rather not have walked through, but looking inside myself and challenging my sister and my dad to do the same thing on a regular basis to say, look, we're still here. You know, what can we do to make mom proud and how can we lead in our lives to continue to go forward? So really, I mean, I know your question is about women. For me, it's very, it's just about the people in and around your life, man or woman. How can we help each other? How can we love each other? And how can we learn from each other? And I'm thankful to have, you know, pretty diverse workforce here. Obviously a strong wife and my sister is one of my best friends So for me, it's just not really any different probably than working with other men or some of my best friends to just take care of each other, you know, regardless of your gender, your role, anything like that. No, thank you for sharing, Sam. I know that's just such a difficult situation to talk about, especially it happened so recent. I know I'm like holding back tears while you're talking about it because I can just feel. Me too. (laughs) I can just feel what that must have been like and for your family and how important it is to like not lose sight of what your mom mission was and what she left with y'all. So thank you for sharing. And also the way that you talked about the diversity and it's so true, like at the end of the day, it's not just man or woman. It's like, it should all be one and there shouldn't be a difference. Right. And I think the more that we talk about that and the more that we push that, I think there is a future that we can see where that is definitely capable. So switching back over to ProPetro, y'all do have a really amazing women of Perpetuo group that has influenced and transformed some of the business. To close, we'd like to just kind of ask you a little bit about this organization and how it has benefited your employees. 
Yeah, the really, really unique thing about ProPetro that I'm almost, I don't have to work to do this, I guess, but working every day to stay out of the way of, because it's organically just so awesome without anything I did. Our groups like, they're called the Women of ProPetro, and they gather on a regular basis, read books together, challenge each other. They bring in speakers of which you guys are going to come to Midland and hang out <laughs> sometime. And they do it themselves. It's completely employee led. We have another group that's similar to it that we call the Pump Committee that is kind of our volunteer organization. And they're out doing, you know, broader things in the community. I've been really, really proud to watch this Women of ProPetro group from afar, trying to stay out of their way and, and <laughs> mess anything up. I've been to hang out with them a couple of times. They make me nervous. I'm usually not a nervous speaker, but I get, <laughs> I get in front of that group. But look, they, they've had very strong attendance. They've found unique ways to hold their gatherings where more ladies can join. You know, we have this 24-hour business that we're running, and it's hard to have a meeting and get everybody together. But they've been really good at that. And, you know, I think they do a good job of just getting together and smiling and laughing and loving on each other and challenging each other. And, you know, leaders like me and the rest of my management team were thrilled to have things like that happening in our company that we can supercharge with resources because it ends up being a really important part of your company culturally to have a place for a group like that to meet and, you know, support each other. Now, Sam, that's just incredible. And I'm just thinking about everything that we've talked about on this podcast. I feel like we could sit here and talk to you forever. It's really just your story for us is one of those ones that, you know, you might've had an upbringing where you were, you know, new oil and gas, your family was successful in it, but it never took a piece of your mind where you felt like you had this upper leg on people. You always continued on your own path. These things fell into place, but it wasn't just because of your dad or your parents' successes. It was you created them for yourself, mm -hmm. but more importantly, you always had family at the core. And during this whole podcast, you could see in everything that you mentioned, we didn't even have to ask about your wife because you brought her into the conversation. And that's so important. That means so much from a leader like you running a company company that, you know, there's so many people that just talk about I, 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 and how like I'm successful and this is how I got here. And you're always talking about the other people around you that brought you to where you are. And I think that says a lot about you, Sam. And we're just so happy that you're able to come on today and share your story with us. And we're really looking forward to watching your success and coming to Midland to see Midland you. Midland 2024. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you guys again for having me. I've done a handful of podcasts in the last year or two and this one's a bit different than the others, I think, for great reasons. I love what you guys are doing, and I love you know the message and the information that you guys are after. So keep up the good work, and we're happy to support. Thank you. And if you like this episode, please like, subscribe, leave us a comment, follow us. And also, don't forget to check out Energy IYKYK, if you know you know. It's a new podcast that's launched by Flipping the Barrel for the first Gen Zs of our energy industry. So thank you all, and we'll see you at the next episode.